welcome to The Pipeline, all things CICD and DevOps podcast by the CD Foundation. I am your host, Jacqueline Salinas, Director of Ecosystem and Community Development. Today in Episode 7, we have Helen Beal joining us today to talk about the relationship between continuous delivery and value stream management. Helen is a DevOps and Ways of Work working coach, advisor, and learning facilitator. She is a speaker and writer for a number of platforms, including a DevOps editor role at InfoQ. She is chief ambassador at DevOps Institute, as well as being a CD Foundation ambassador. The origins of continuous delivery are in the Agile Manifesto, where in the first of the 12 principles, it's stated that the highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. Fast forward nearly 20 years to a world subsumed by DevOps, where continuous delivery is synonymous with pipeline technology, and we have an emerging market around value stream management. In this podcast, we'll explore the relationship between all these pieces and see how they all fit together with the same ultimate goal, the improvement of organizational performance. Welcome, Helen. But before we dive into the relationship between continuous delivery and value stream management, we are going to start out with, obviously, my favorite segment, my DevOps journey. First of all, thank you very much, Jacqueline, for having me along. It's a real pleasure to be here. And I would love to tell you about my DevOps journey. So, um Everyone's journey is a bit unusual, I guess, but mine started uh, with an English degree, I guess. And I did an English literature and language degree at university and then wasn't quite sure what to do with it. And I'd done a lot of temping um, in my life, particularly during university to, um, you know, earn some extra cash because you're always quite poor as a student. Um, And I decided just to see where the temping led me and it led me uh, into IBM. And I started a career in technology as a result, originally with Lotus Notes in 1995, if people remember that. Um, and then I left and we started up a company um, based on uh, IBM software that did it. This was in the e-business world, sort of that dot-com bubble. So, again, you know, kind of close to um, both, I guess, the developers and the system administrators that were involved in, in those sort of projects. Um, and then I moved on from there and I um, built and ran a software reseller business um, that was an IBM partner. Um, and that was we sold all of the IBM portfolio and we had a large services outfit as well. So I was heavily involved with um, the services team that were doing development projects, mainly in WebSphere for lots of different clients uh, and also managed that uh, IBM software portfolio, which um, during that time included the acquisition of the rational uh, product set, which was very much the SDLC, so the software development lifecycle angle. Um, We actually were the top rational partner in Europe, several years running. So um, that kind of got me deep into, you know, deeper into this space as well. And then um, I moved on from there and went to work for a company that was a spin-off of Lloyd's Banking Group in the UK that was basically deployment automation. Um, and that is when I discovered DevOps as it was emerging um, around a, a decade ago. Um, and I spent a few years there specialising um, with large enterprises that wanted to automate deployments and then uh, moved on and created a consulting business around DevOps. And then I became a DevOps coach and consultant for about the past seven years, um, which has been 
an incredible journey to, and privilege actually to see um, DevOps evolve over those years and really get inside um, lots of different companies as well, very different sizes and types. So you know, small charities all the way up to very large global banks and have you know, huge discussions, not just about the automation pieces, but actually about culture and learning and leadership um, and all of these connected parts of DevOps. Um, and then more recently, um, as you said, I'm now at DevOps Institute as Chief Ambassador, uh, and I also uh, do some research work and some strategic advisory work um, for some other organisations as well, and continue to write uh, extensively, um, mainly for the InfoQ platform as a DevOps editor there. Um, so yeah, that's uh, in a quite a large nutshell, I guess, uh, my DevOps journey. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So now let's transition over to value stream management. How do you define value? This is a a very tricky thing to do and something the market is tussling with. So um, value stream management as a category is relatively new. Um, Around late summer 2018, Forrester published its first wave report on value stream management. So it's very much an emerging market. And Forrester um, define it as the processes and tools broadly that a number of different roles um, will use to gain insights into um, the flow of work through their value stream. Um, And we can come back to that because your question was really about how do you define value? And this is what um, I observe organizations really tussling with. So Value could be as simple as revenue or profit um, associated with a project or a product. And this gets us into that whole from project to product conversation. Um, But it could also be things like the NPS, so the net promoter score um, of a product or an application. It could be the reviews on the app store. It could be um, the value of a a customer's basket. It could be the conversion rates of a a particular form on a website. So there's lots of different ways to measure value, but it's something that um, enterprises really struggle with. From a project perspective, you know, for many, many years, decades, people have said, let's do this multi-million pound project and we'll write a business case and at the end of it would have made X million pound more. But um, those projects have typically gone over time, over budget. They've been very difficult to do. And by the time people hit a live date and the testing phase has been squished and the release um, phase has been hideous and everyone's been working all hours and, and when the thing goes live, everyone just breathes a sigh of relief and then gets assigned to another project. So we've always been really bad at looking back at what value we've created. And part of what's made that really difficult is this big batch approach. So um, having things just just so enormous, it's very difficult to to look at a granular level what the impact of our work has been. What do you think? Is is your experience similar that people really struggle to define value? I think so. I think it's uh, also something... Well, why we, at least why I struggle to define value, it's also because everybody has a different perspective and different, and then again, different set of values of what they find important. Um, so it's hard to get an industry aligned on the same KPIs uh, when, you know, their products sometimes don't have anything. There's no commonality there. So I could see why a lot of, why it's hard to standardize this. Um, how, what do you think about that though? Like it, has there been a way to standardize uh, value uh, in so- in the software industry 
I don't think there has. And I think we suffer from um, this kind of black box idea that um, the software is invisible. It's very hard to to see inside it and see what's what's happening. Um, and of course, the, the whole value stream terminology really comes from lean and the, the manufacturing industry. Um, and I think the industry is really starting to learn how to use those things that have been around since the 1950s um, and apply them to our invisible value streams and software and starting to make that work more visible, starting to use value stream mapping techniques, you know, as prescribed in, um, prescribes maybe the wrong word, as suggested uh, in the DevOps handbook um, to really start to get that systems thinking going and get that profound understanding of the system um, that we seek when we do, when we look at um, uh, tools or techniques like the theory of constraints. So I think we've just not had the discipline. And if we think about why we haven't had the discipline to think like a value stream to focus on value, we probably need to go back to the history of how we got where we are, right? So one of the things that DevOps sets out to solve is the siloization of our technology departments. And that really happened because and I'm sure you've worked with or worked for organisations that have been decades old, sometimes centuries old. So there was a time in many organisations where they had no IT department at all. It was prior to the technology revolution that we're currently in. So when they started to bring in MRP, ERP, email back office systems, um, they started to hire staff and more and more staff. And it made sense because they were kind of back office. It made sense to see them as a cost center and a very well-established way of managing a cost center is to, to break it into skill sets and have them in nice, clear little pots so we know what's costing what. But I guess a couple of things happened. And one is um, that we've all become digital. And because we're becoming digital, or we've become digital, um, the importance of our technology teams and our capability um, has a much closer correlation with our overall overall organisational performance. So, um, you know, you've heard of companies that uh, say we're a technology company. So there's quite a few famous ones like Alaska Air describe themselves as a technology company with wings, Domino's Pizza, um, Target, Hiscox. So there's a lot of companies out there that have made statements about being technology companies where you might have put them in a box of being an airline, a pizza company, a, a retailer or an insurance company. So as that's happening, it's kind of driven, I guess, the DevOps movement around it. And it's made us look at the disciplines we're using. But we've got this heritage where we've created systems over a really extended period of time, period of time, and they are inherently complex, sophisticated and unstable. So we have our priorities are often in the technology teams, keeping the thing running in the, the face of all this uncertainty, um, whilst being pushed by the business to push through as much change as quickly as possible. And I think we've just lacked um, the discipline and probably, and I think we'll get onto this, the tools to be able to do it um, effectively. There are so many factors at play. So I often say to organisations, if I'm, I'm engaging to try and help them go on a DevOps journey themselves, is to, to think about themselves as a group of humans, you know, a thousand humans, 10,000 humans. And what we're actually doing when we do a DevOps journey is, in many respects, not implementing CICD pipelines. What we're doing is we're asking a thousand or 10,000 humans to, um, to reflect on how they work 
unlearn habits around things like, um, you know, project-oriented thinking, uh, command and control leadership, uh, you know, a whole host of things, and, and relearn these new and different ways of working, which are based on what you've just described, this ability to pivot, to, to be agile, which it fundamentally is about uh, managing risk in an uncertain world. So when, what we're trying to do is, is make people um, more nimble um, with the feedback that they're receiving. But yeah, there are, it's, it's, it's a very, very complex environment. So, uh, um, Helen, how do organi- how do or- how can organizations use their CI/CD pipelines to measure value? Then, well, what I said about the black box and the mm-hmm. invisibility of software, the CI/CD pipeline. Um, holds all the keys to it really or a lot of the keys and the the data that we need to observe so if we think about the value stream and the flow in a value stream it starts with an idea and that idea um, you know in many organizations it's typically been recorded in a, a word document if you're lucky or a meeting somewhere in an email but increasingly people are using portfolio management tools and and even more over and above that we see the proliferation of product backlog tools you know in particular Jira so we're starting to see the ideas or the requirements being um, recorded and as soon as we record them we've got data of when things have happened and we've got an opportunity to think about the value associated um, with those things so we can write experiments in the product backlog if we do this we think the result will be that and that could have um, a value um, a projected value associated with it so we'll do this new feature and we'll improve our app reviews from three and a half stars to four stars for example over an extended period and then as we move deeper in we've obviously got our artifact repositories and our our version control and we've got our ci servers and we've got our you know our cd and our deployment automation and then beyond that actually we have and and we often don't talk about this in the context of continuous delivery or cd pipelines but we've got things like our service desk and then we've got more observability and monitoring um, at the back end which is where we can uh, measure the, the realization of that value so we can start inspecting to see whether our experiment had um, the outcome that we wanted it to have and we can start then making decisions about what next to do um, in terms of ideas as a result so we have a whole release cycle effectively that shows us what you were describing the ability to pivot and make decisions based around uh, what we're learning about what we're doing so the the CICD pipeline or the continuous delivery pipeline it has has the potential to do this. The challenge that I've observed in the market is that um, getting the data out is quite hard. So people do increasingly choose tools in their DevOps toolchain or CD pipeline because they have interoperability. So for example, you know, Bitbucket and Bamboo, if you pick a few things from the Atlassian stack, they've already got Um, well-established integration so you've got kind of a number of choices as a a team um, building a DevOps tool chain you can um, you can you know hand crank the integrations you can look to where there's existing APIs or existing integrations available to you you could try and um, employ some kind of integration tool to manage those integrations for you and you're starting to get that traceability from 
um, the moment a requirement appears to um, the value being realised. But that's all quite a lot of hard work. And then there's a whole other conversation really about KPIs, metrics and measurements and getting the data out to do those sort of things. And this is where we've always had lots of chats about DevOps dashboards. There's quite a few um, users around the world, lots of users around the world of Hygieia Capital Ones, um, effectively DevOps dashboard. And that's been really useful for lots of teams to extract some of this data to help um, with this visibility and providing evidence and building trust. Um, But it's effectively kind of a skin over the tools. It doesn't give us the flow from one tool to another or one step in the process to another through the whole value stream. And this is really where the value stream management tool set really comes into play because it manages those integrations for us and it allows us to get those flow metrics around things like cycle time and starts giving us insights into where uh, we are seeing constraints and waste happen uh, in our value stream. So, um, as I said, it's an emerging market, but for me, it's been kind of what I've been looking for almost my entire DevOps career is this ability to optimise the flow from end to end in a value stream. What are some tools, uh, some value stream tools that have helped you with that? So we can look to the Forrester Wave uh, report. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe there's another one due out actually in a couple of months, but in that first version, um, some of the key vendors would be people like Plutora, um, TaskTop, um, and, you know, TaskTop, Nick Kirsten also wrote the book on uh, from project to product. Um, There's also um, CollabNet, who recently merged with uh, CB Labs, and I forget the third part, but they're now digital AI. Um, HCL bought uh, or t- took over the Urban Code tools from um, IBM, and they have some tools uh, in there as well. So there's there's a few vendors um, out there that are are playing in this space, and I think it's a, a space that's going to be quite fast moving. We can see quite a lot of change in it over uh, coming months. Are you familiar with any of those vendors yourself? Yes, uh, digital AI. Now, can you help us understand what are the lines between agile and DevOps and how it all starts to kind of fit into the value stream management? Yeah, so... I like to go back to kind of the dawn of DevOps, if you like, so where it all started. And it all started at a conference um, around Agile, an Agile conference in 2008 in Toronto, where a chap called Andrew Clay Schaefer, who's now at Red Hat, um, made a suggestion for a birds and feather session um, called Agile Infrastructure. And at the conference was a chap called Patrick Dubois, And Patrick had an ambition to look at IT through as many different lenses as he could to sit on the dev side of the fence, sit on the IT ops side, sit on the support desk, just look at it through many different lenses. And he was apparently a government organisation at the time and was observing a lot of frustration, particularly between um, the development and the operations team, um, a lot of which was as a result of the software development team um, starting to practice agile ways of working and the IT operations teams not knowing um, 
you know, not that they're ignorant, but they weren't told, they weren't brought on board with what was happening and the cadence of work was changing and this this um, kind of battle between change and stability was causing an awful lot of frustration. So Patrick was very quick, keen to go to Andrew's session and turned up and he was the only one there. He was literally the only one there because Andrew didn't turn up. But um, Patrick was really keen to pursue the conversation. So he tracked Andrew down. Um, this is all from a video, by the way, um, on YouTube by Damon Edwards called A Short History of DevOps, if anyone wants to, to listen to uh, Damon's uh, words on it as well. So he tracked him down and they ended up putting up a, a Google group um, called uh, Agile System Administration, um, which had a little bit of traction. And then in 2009, there was another conference in San Jose, a Velocity conference, and a couple of guys from Flickr, John Allspore and Paul Hammond, stood on stage together. So a dev guy and an ops guy stood on stage together and did a presentation called 10 Plus Deploys a Day. <clears throat> and um, I heard someone, I think it was John Willis, say, I think he was there, or somebody said there was like people being sick at the back of the room at this thought that somebody could do more than 10 deploys a day. It was like seen as, you know, insanity that this was going on um and patrick i think saw a recording or he heard about it and he wasn't there he was upset not to be there and so people said why don't you set up your own conference and he's belgian and he set up his own conference in 2010 in ghent sorry in 2009 in ghent um and he used the hashtag devops days and that's actually where the whole movement started there so um 10 years ago and i was lucky enough actually to go to the 10 year anniversary of devil stays in ghent in october 2019 just last year so that was kind of a that's very cool <laughs> it was really cool it felt like a really significant event and it was lovely to kind of meet all the people there and ghent's a beautiful city um, as well if anyone gets a, a chance to to visit i actually, actually was at the five-year one in ghent as well um which was also also great um <clears throat> so at that time, I would say that DevOps was really characterized by the silo between Dev and Ops specifically, and that kind of frustration that manifested itself in um, people just throwing stuff over the wall, and people would call it the wall of confusion, and IT Ops would pick up a release package and release it, and it would go wrong, and then there'd be a hideous war room, and it would be very, very hectic with people pointing fingers and blaming each other, and, and you know, really tense, and then the developers would say, I want admin access to the production systems, because you clearly can't be trusted, and the Ops team would have to say, well, you can't, because our regulations and compliance don't allow us to do that, and then development would moan how long it takes um, IT operations to provision in an environment and it was all very tense and I think um, as I've observed over the, the last several years that I've been involved I really feel that there's been an evolution so I think when it started the difference between Agile and DevOps was that DevOps um, really brought IT operations into the party right so Agile was a software development methodology IT operations were doing ITIL or ITSM so it really kind of brought the two together and started to put some agility into service management and then the other big piece of course was automation so Agile isn't really about automation and actually the phrase continuous delivery, if you look at it through a pure agile lens and look at the agile manifesto and look at the 12 principles and look at the first principle, which is about the continuous delivery of value to the hands of the customer. It's not a very technical um, description, um, but when we look at continuous delivery through the eyes of the, the DevOps world, actually we pretty much, it's almost synonymous with the CD pipeline. So it's almost synonymous with a DevOps tool chain. 
Um, so that's kind of where DevOps was starting, was really trying to fix that problem. And then, you know, DevOps in 10 years, it's evolved. It's been allowed to evolve. People like the progenitors we've talked about avoided putting a manifesto in, avoided creating ITIL-like publications. We have the DevOps handbook but it's very much a kind of guidebook and a story of, of cases and and you know it's not prescriptive in, in any way um, but as time has gone on the the remit of devops has expanded so where has it started as being kind of like let's marry um agile and itsm and actually let's marry lean in there in fact um uh, jane grohl the ceo of uh, DevOps Institute, I stole a phrase from her that I heard many years ago with her permission, um, which is that DevOps is the harmonious and polygamous marriage between Agile, Lean and ITSM. <laughs> and then we look at it now, and actually there's so many other contributing systems of thoughts that are coming in, so safety culture and learning organisations and the theory of constraints. So um, John Willis and I were at a conference in Munich, I think, or Frankfurt several years ago, and I mentioned the harmonious polygamous marriage. And then I also um, did a, a rehash, if you like, of a, a talk that I first did with Lego at the DevOps Enterprise Summit in London, the first one about four years ago, mm-hmm. um, probably five years ago now, um, which was called Correlations Between DevOps and Holacracy. And John kind of picked up on this. He said, interesting how you see Agile, ITSM and Lean and Holacracy is contributing systems of thoughts and DevOps. He said, I've got my three-legged stool, which is safety culture and theory of constraints and learning organisations. You can add SRE in there as well now. So it's become this really broad church. And you mentioned GitOps earlier as well. So we have all these different flavours of DevOps now. So we've got Biz DevOps, DevSecOps, Set DevOps, GitOps, AIOps, MLOps, ChatOps, you know, data ops there's a proliferation of something ops uh, out there but for me the real um, evolution that I started to observe probably three years ago was to value stream thinking so DevOps had expanded out of dev through the fuzzy front end and really wanted to get um, a handle on where these ideas are coming from and really wanted to understand and get feedback on where those ideas had gone and what value outcome had been um, received. And from there, we get the concept of the value cycle. Um, And I want to say cycle rather than a stream, because I think it's really important to understand that it does keep on going round. And that's what we're trying to do is keep on going round as as fast as we can and, and make a new um, experiment and get some more feedback and decide on our, our new direction. That was a very long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, thank you for uh, actually the background and the explanation. Um, so how can value stream mapping help? I know you gave a history, but now I guess some some practical applications. Do you have suggestions for that or... Yeah. Absolutely. So value stream mapping is a lean tool out of that canon of work from TPS or the Toyota production system and the lean canon. It came out all of there in sort of Japan in the 1950s. It is a, a lean tool that relies on getting a bunch of people, and I would usually say room, but now I say space because obviously it's been quite difficult to get people in a room, um, a physical room for quite a while now. And I think uh, we're all learning how to do things in virtual spaces much better. So you basically need a bunch of people and they come together and they visually collaborate 
on their value stream. So they map it out. So they identify what the steps are in their value stream and then they start assigning metrics to them, um, which allow them to see where the waste is. So they get that profound understanding of the system. They start to conceptualize about flow and they have discussions about what their target state might look like as opposed to their current state. And they start having conversations about DevOps practices and principles like continuous delivery um, that will allow them to remove waste out of their value stream. Um, and it's incredibly valuable. I've done so many value stream mapping exercises. I've lost count ages ago and um, with so many different companies. Um, around the world and it is a real light bulb moment and it, there is the value of the discussions between these people that frequently these people haven't been in a space together um, before but the amount that they learn from each other um, and learn to empathize with each other is quite phenomenal um, but it does have a couple of um, uh, restrictions if you like um, in that people are generally really bad at going back and looking at their value stream maps again so it's kind of a one-off exercise and then it gets left in a drawer or a wall and people go back to their desks and, and often it's difficult to kind of maintain the momentum and execute the backlog of improvements that they may have agreed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where the relationship between value stream mapping and value stream management, I believe, is so important because I think it's really important to start with that human-to-human interaction. Um, but if we then use value stream management to automate the mapping of that value stream it then makes it very easy particularly if people are operating um, using a kind of agile framework where they've got agile events and they are given um, you know the three tier the three pillars of agile of transparency inspection and adaptation if we um, have those events that are specifically designed to give a team an opportunity to inspect and adapt and that data is readily available because the value stream management tool is able to interrogate um, the continuous delivery pipeline and present the team at sprint planning at sprint review at sprint retrospective with metrics on their flow um, and any other kind of devops metrics they might want like about you know deployment frequency or whatever and gives them ability to inspect their value suddenly they are in a position where their work and their software is no longer invisible they can see it and they can make decisions um, based on what their product or service wants to do moving forward um, that has real real data behind it that isn't just opinion driven but it's actually um something that they can point at and hold on to and know that it's true i have a question helen you mentioned uh earlier in your explanation uh folks will go through this exercise and then just put it in a drawer um, and forget about it what is your recommendation regarding uh, value stream mapping and the leverage of value stream management tools? How often in your, from, from your perspective, should people really be looking at these practices and leveraging these tools so that it doesn't get put away in, uh, in a drawer and forgotten about it and then there's, no, there's actually no value from it? So... Do the human-based value stream mapping exercise, implement the value stream management tool to automate the collection of the data that 
sits behind the value stream map and then use the I'm going to say sprint events, we're going to assume Scrum, use the sprint events to regularly inspect and adapt uh, behaviours according to what you're learning about your value stream map, which is now automated okay. by your value stream management solution. So why, so why, people, why are people not doing it? It's, that's, that's kind of how I interpret it. It's like they do it once and then they set it and forget it. Is that what's happening? Or am I interpreting this incorrectly? No, no, you've got it spot on. So I, the reason people, I think, are really bad at going back and looking at their value stream map after they've done it is because you're getting a bunch of people in a room or in a space for an extended period of time. And actually just getting that time with people again can be really difficult. Um, and going through the whole process again can seem kind of onerous. Um, and this is the power of the automation in this instance. So your question, like, why isn't everyone doing it? Value stream management is, is still quite an emerging market, right? If, you, if we went and polled a bunch of teams in an enterprise today, we'd probably find some teams that had fairly low level capabilities around continuous integration and continuous delivery. Um, and it really, you can start implementing value stream mapping alongside and you'll get lots of value out of it. But a lot of organizations are just not at the capability level yet to be ready to have these conversations. Um, they don't know this stuff exists. They're not thinking like a value stream. It's it's just all, all new to them. Like 10 years ago, nobody really knew what continuous delivery was or how to build a continuous delivery pipeline. Thank you so much, uh, Helen. This has been a wonderful episode on value stream management. Thank you for your time and educating us on value stream mapping and also the automation of value stream management um, and just what it can do for an organization. Um, We really appreciate your time. And also thank you for being a CDF ambassador. Uh, We are so excited. I don't know if you know, but we're at 45 ambassadors now. So woohoo! Yeah, amazing. So it's yeah, it's, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm very excited to be a CDF ambassador as well. I'm really looking forward to more opportunities like this to participate with the community and, and learn from everyone. Absolutely. Uh, just also, uh, the CFP for CDCon, our virtual event, is open. So I hope that you can uh, submit a talk and teach us more about Valley Stream Management. I surely will. Thank you.